This is episode 25 of Everyday Wellness. Are you sad? Using holistic lifestyle medicine strategies to treat seasonal affective disorder. Let's get started. Welcome to Everyday Wellness. Wellness is the result of the decisions that you make every day. It's your mindset and the thoughts you believe. Wellness is the food you put in your body and the relationship you have with yourself and others. Wellness is your work and meaning. Join us on Everyday Wellness as we explore ways that you can choose wellness today. Hello everyone. In today's session, we're going to talk about seasonal affective disorder and or the winter blues. So this time of year, it's common when many people feel a little sad, a little under the weather, a little less motivated, and it it can be written off as just, this is what happens, or we can kind of quote unquote diagnose it as seasonal affective disorder or we can just call it the winter blues. So Cynthia and I are going to talk about the definition, kind of the specifics required for the diagnosis of it. We're going to talk a little bit about the contributing factors, and then most importantly, what we can do to treat this. So I think we can start by thinking about the diagnosis. And I was actually surprised to hear what the diagnosis entailed. I have this love-hate, mostly hate relationship with diagnoses, and it's because I think it it puts people in a box. It Mm -hmm. often gets people to believe that they are that label or that disease or disorder rather than being more proactive and empowered to do something about their symptoms. But according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the DSM, it's sort of the the Bible for diagnosing mental issues, that indicates that you need to have a series of symptoms such as having problems sleeping, changes in eating patterns, low energy, less connections with your friends, feeling more irritable, and on and on, all of those things that we think about when we think about someone feeling kind of depressed. But It indicates that you have to have that feeling, not only this current season that we're in, but for the preceding two seasons. So it's a pretty hefty requirement in order to officially meet the diagnoses. But I say, why why bother or why try to meet the diagnoses? If we have many of these symptoms, they're Mm -hmm. no bueno anyway. Like, let's do some things to feel better. I'm curious about your take on that, Cynthia. Yeah, you know, being Western medicine trained myself, I, you know, that that putting everyone in a box, uh, you know, mentality, I think misses, misses, it's missed opportunities with our patients. So obviously, we want to remain attuned to symptoms as as people are experiencing, but also recognizing that, you know, if, if someone goes from feeling great in the summer, you know, longer days, it's warmer to all of a sudden, as soon as fall and winter hits, you know, they, they start to feel differently that we need to take that, you know, really seriously. And, and I was, it was interesting to read that 10 to 20% of recurrent depression is seasonal depression. So it is a real issue when you think about the, the net impact of those that, that are dealing with depression. And, and what was also really curious to me, but makes sense is that the higher in latitude you go, 
the more prevalent it is. Um, and there's also, interestingly enough, if, if mom or dad or brother and sister um, have seasonal affective disorder, you are more likely to have it. So there's definitely an inheritable um, component to this uh, that can definitely make it more prevalent. Yeah, I think just similar to other mental type issues, there's mm-hmm. definitely a genetic component and how it's expressed. So you might have the genes, but you also have the propensity for seeing your mm-hmm. parents act in a certain way um, with those genes. So I think it's definitely both. And when I was pulling together information, I found that with regard to the latitude, um, Seattle is seven times more likely to have people diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder than Miami, which, you know, it totally makes sense if we yeah. think about how important the sun is to this. Um, and so when we're thinking about this, we talked about some of the symptoms that an individual can present with, including low energy, feeling depressed, changes in appetite, feeling agitated, feeling hopeless, oversleeping, undersleeping, appetite changes, weight gain, tiredness, or low energy. So <laughs> I know. It's a lot. Right. It's a lot, <laughs> but it could also be part of a number of other issues. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to see your physician so that they mm-hmm. can do some testing and rule out things like hypothyroidism, autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's, maybe even heavy metal issues mm-hmm. or adrenal fatigue. Um, and, and I'm curious if you saw this in any of your clinical practice. Oh, yeah, all the time. It, yeah. And generally, people were pretty aware, you know, they would say, you know, I wake up and it's dark, I go to bed when it's dark. Um, you know, they, they just feel like they want to hibernate, they want to sleep more, they want to carb load. Um, yes. And, and I felt like, you know, where I live, it's a pretty affluent area. So I think there was some degree of awareness um, mm-hmm. of, of the fact that this was very cyclical for them. What I found really interesting was that, you know, when I when I would talk to them, and obviously, in cardiology, I wasn't I wasn't addressing this specifically, but I would mention to them that, you know, there's some impact of the retina. So the eye and and light therapy and, and things like that can be so profoundly beneficial. Um, and how if you're not getting enough stimulation, so I would say to them, even if you even if it's not super warm outside, you should get outside, you need mm-hmm. some sun exposure. Um, it's important for that, you know, hormone synthesis between serotonin, and melatonin, um, maybe not using all those big hormone words, but just explaining to them that their, their body needs some exposure to light beyond just being in fluorescent lighting all day long. Absolutely. And, oh, um, yeah, no. And and I do recall, you know, the years that I worked as an ER nurse and, and you would get up and it was dark and you'd come home and it was dark <laughs> and you worked, you know, in an ER. So there were no windows. Um, you just kind of felt like you lived below the ground. You felt like a mole. That was what right. I used to say. I feel like a mole. Um, and that's how patients would sometimes, you know, they art- would articulate to me that they just didn't see sunlight seemingly for months on end. Um, so you can really appreciate that as, as a healthcare provider and then also just as a human being that, um, you know, a lot of us just don't love the way we feel in the winter, colder months. Um, and certainly, I don't live in Minnesota and I don't live in, you know, upstate New York and I'm not in Canada uh, where it's certainly much colder. But I think for people that experience four seasons, they, they are probably pretty attuned to um, how they physically and emotionally feel as they make those seasonal transitions. Yeah. And as you mentioned, sunlight is a huge factor. And Mm -hmm. the research shows that being exposed to the sunlight, especially in the morning, or even light outside, Mm -hmm. even if it's not a sunny day per se, really helps with resetting our circadian Mm -hmm. rhythm, which is Mm -hmm. how our body knows when to wake up and when to go to sleep. And along with that, 
the sunlight also affects our production of melatonin, which is associated with sleep, and serotonin, mm-hmm. which is associated with mood. So mm-hmm. right there, we just hit about five of those 15 symptoms, Yeah, um, just thinking about serotonin and melatonin. And then we know that when we're not getting as much sunlight, we can't produce as much vitamin D. And so mm-hmm. that's another huge piece, another huge contributing factor just from the sunlight piece alone. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I'll have you know, patients or clients that would mention that they were craving carbs. And I would explain to them that, you know, when they eat carbohydrates, it helps raise their body's um, neurotransmitter serotonin, uh, which is that kind of sometimes feel good um, hormone, but we need serotonin to convert to melatonin, which is secreted by an area in the brain called the penile gland to, you know, let our bodies know that it's time to go to sleep and and it's involved intricately in that circadian rhythm. And so the circadian rhythm, just to kind of backtrack, is associated with cortisol. And so cortisol is secreted by the adrenal glands and it's a hormone that we all have. um, Unless we have um, Addison's disease, which is what President Kenny had many years ago. And so cortisol is is highest in the morning, it ebbs and flows throughout the day, and it's lowest at night, ideally, that's what it should look like, which is not to suggest there aren't people that have adrenal, um, adrenal health issues that that may not have that kind of perfect pattern. Um, But we know and we recognize that, you know, the carbs that we eat, are intricately involved in serotonin and melatonin. And so um, what's interesting is what I oftentimes will suggest uh, when we're touching on, you know, what are some of the things they can do? I'm like, carbs are fine, but maybe have some protein with your carbs so that, you know, there there's an amino acid called tryptophan, and that will actually kind of help escort, um, you know, escort those amino acids and carbohydrates will help, you know, get that hormone synthesis to occur more readily. So when people say they're craving potatoes, and they're craving, um, you know, sweets, I mean, there's, there's legitimately a, a reason why their body, um, hopefully not the sugars, but there's a reason why their body is, is going to gravitate towards those kinds of foods and in, in colder winter, winter weather, uh, in order to kind of stimulate that hormone synthesis, but it's not an excuse. I'm, let me just be upfront. It's not an excuse to go overboard with sugary sweets. Uh, that's not at all what I'm saying. Right. So we're talking about listening to your cravings and desire for more carbohydrates, but fulfilling those desires in more of a whole foods way. Mm -hmm. And that also includes protein and um, some good healthy fat too. Um, Anything else to say about nutrition? Oh, also, I think it's important to drink enough water because we know that even small levels of dehydration can produce big changes in our mood to include irritability, sadness, Mm -hmm. fatigue. So in the winter, I don't want to drink as much cold water. So I end up drinking herbal tea, hot herbal tea. Um, So that's one way or hot water with lemon um, to get in the fluids without being cold. (laughs) Super smart. Now, I, I, and I'm, I'm kind of one of those weird people that I actually let my water sit out on the counter because I don't like to drink it cold, especially in the winter. Um, so I will fill up like filtered water and I'll let it actually sit on the counter for the day because then I can, I'm very attuned to how much water I've consumed, but it also then it's not super cold. And I'm just, I'm not an ice cube person. I don't like really, really cold <laughs> things just in general. And it, and to me, it just reinforces that I'm already cold to begin with. So yeah. Um, that's yeah, warm fluids are great. You know, if you enjoy herbal teas, I definitely do that too. But then, you know, I get distracted and next thing I know I've got cold tea. Um, so I'm constantly that person that's, yeah, rehydrating my, or trying to reheat 
things, which is always my husband's like, why do you even drink warm food, warm, you know, liquids? I'm like, I don't know. I try. I just never finish them in a timely basis. My tea kettle is like always on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm the same way. I like to have my hot liquids hot. Yeah. And I actually, I think it's more the, I actually wrap my hands around the cup yes. and then that's, it's warm, that whole ritual. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. All right. So we're talking about eating healthy whole foods to include mm-hmm. some good carbs and protein and fat. And, you know, I think another thing that's important about the protein piece is that tryptophan is also a precursor to serotonin. Mm-hmm. So Correct. we need, we need that amino acid to make these good feeling hormones. But I think there's this misnomer that everyone thinks they just eat a pound of turkey and it's going to somehow (laughs) make it. And I'm like, it's a little more complicated than that. And, and, you know, the hormone thing is is something that I think is really fascinating. But, um, you know, one of the pieces that's important is that we need the tryptophan to actually you know, cross, um, you know, get the, the actual tryptophan to be activated in the brain. So, um, as Kelly mentioned, you know, just making sure that we're mindful about our macros. So, you know, good quality carbohydrates, good quality protein, healthy fats. Don't be afraid of fats. We're not fat phobic here. In fact, we try to, um, go against the old conventional dogma that fat is bad. Fat is good. It's quality of fats. It's important. Um, so having a little bit of butter on some vegetables that you have with your turkey would be a good good option. But even things like nuts and, and things like that can be hugely beneficial. Yeah. One of my favorites this time of year is sweet potatoes with coconut oil. That's, oh, yum. Yeah, that's a yummy one. All right. Anything else to say about the basics of nutrition for treating with the winter blues? No, other than, you know, like the traditional therapies that I I figured we would probably talk about really briefly. Yeah. Um, You know, so there's like four big mainstays, um, you know, from what I read in in the research literature. And one was light box therapy, which a lot of people do. And, you know, it's what you want is 10,000 lux, L-U-X, of full spectrum light. Um, There's even some references to cool white fluorescent light. I'm not a huge fan of fluorescent lighting because we recognize it's junk light and our eyes don't really know what to process with it. However, under these circumstances, you just go with what your budget, you know, allows for. But then also things like exercise is really important, um, you know, not only to make you tired, um, but also to kind of get you out and get you moving. Cause I, that's the other piece that starts to happen is that people kind of go into hibernation mode where they're in the dark, you know, they're not exposed to light, they're cold, so they're not really moving as much. You know, your basal metabolic rate actually slows down in the winter. So, you know, summertime is generally when people are more active, they can have more discretionary calories, and then people tend to overeat in the winter, which is when they'll build up a little layer of fluff, and then they're all trying to lose it in the in the spring and summer. So I would just encourage people to, to be mindful of just moving their body every day. And what I found interesting is that, you know, kind of conventional Western medicine treatments medication-wise are things like beta blockers and, and selective serotonin tonin reuptake inhibitors. And I would say try to do everything you can first before you resort to medication. Um, Obviously, there are times when you have to take those things, but try to do the other things first that can really be beneficial and foundational. Yeah, I think lifestyle medicine can do so much in and of Mm -hmm. itself. And with the light box therapy, if that is used consistently every morning for Mm -hmm. about 20 minutes, many people see a difference within the first one to two weeks. So that's pretty fast. Yeah. I saw anywhere from like 30 minutes to two hours. I don't, I'm going to guess most of our listeners probably don't have two hours sit in front of a light box every day, but yeah, um, absolutely. They, they talk about the cumulative impact of, 
using that therapy and, and helpful it can be. And, and I think it makes people just feel physically good because mm-hmm. they feel warmer and light on their face, you know, probably brings them back to summertime when they're outside with their family or uh, just doing activities. So I think there, it's multi, there are multiple reasons why that can be beneficial and desirable. Yeah. And I think the thing that I learned about it is that you, it's great if you have the time just to sit there and ha- kind of have it at your side so that you're getting the light but not staring directly at it. But you can also have it on your counter while you're making breakfast or mm-hmm. on your desk if you're doing computer work. Um, anytime that you can get more of that light in is great. And so we talked about the basics of nutrition and sleep and the light box therapy and movement. Um, I have a few other ancillary things like getting social connection, which we can often tie to movement, going out and doing things with friends, going for walks with friends and things like that. Just being connected and then also really thinking about how your thoughts, not not a big surprise that I'm going to talk about thoughts, (laughs) but thinking about how your thoughts about the winter months and about what you're doing are influencing how you're feeling. So I, I have more details on a recent blog post. So you can get that at everydaytherapist.com slash blog. And I'll put a link below. Um, or have a presentation that you can get either a PDF or a narrated presentation. And of course, we both um, think this is super important. So if you have any questions about this, feel free to let us know. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I think this is a really timely topic and and definitely something that we're hoping we can bring, you know, kind of current events or current issues that are coming up for our um, clients and patients to you all. So definitely keep us posted if there's something you want us to discuss. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find out more about Cynthia and her work at chtwellness.com. And you can find out more about Kelly and her work at everydaytherapist.com. In addition, if you have questions for us or topics you'd like us to address, please email us at everydaywellnesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.